Hi and welcome to episode 42 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger and my guest today is Lottie Consalvo. This is the first podcast recorded before a live audience and Lottie and I were very excited to hold this conversation in the beautiful Newcastle Art Gallery in New South Wales. Thanks to everyone for coming along. It was great to meet some of the podcast listeners. Lottie is not only a painter, she works across performance art, photography, video and sculpture. She's had nine solo shows in painting alone over the last eight years and she's had many more performances and group shows. In 2015, she was one of only 10 artists chosen to take part in a residency with world-famous performance artist Marina Abramovich and her solo show In the Remembering opened about a week ago at Heidi Museum of Modern Art, one of Australia's Australia's most important museums, and this is all at only 32 years of age. We talk about her life and how she got where she is, but one of the most interesting things she talks about is the way she's brought painting and performance art together. We talk about one of her works hanging at Heidi at the moment called Ages and Ages, which consists of 10 painted panels placed side by side to create a surface over 11 metres in length which wrap around the walls at Heidi. It's fascinating to hear about her private performance within that space, which she carried out to complete that work. She's engaging, down-to-earth and passionate about what she does. It was a thoroughly enjoyable conversation and I almost forgot the audience was there. The works we talk about are on the website, talkingwithpainters.com. I started by asking Lottie where she grew up and what she remembers of art as a child. I was born in Briagalong, which is in East Gippsland. Um, Briagalong's a very, very small country town with maybe three, four shops. And then when my parents split when I was two and a half, I spent most of the time with my dad, as I've been told. So I'm aware that I spent the next um, kind of three years with him, back and forth, but with him a lot. And he moved into a mud brick cottage, this tiny mud brick cottage. Do you remember it? Very clearly, so clearly. It was really, really small. It was so old. And in in fact, that image there reminds me of it. But there was the, it was, you could see the, you could see all the earth through the walls. Oh, you mean the Elizabeth Elizabeth's studio? studio. Yeah, studio. exactly. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and then and it was up and down. And our bedrooms were connected in a like a loft top floor. Oh, so you had siblings as well? No, so he, my oh. mum's older children and my siblings were with her. And then I would go back and forth. Oh. And then he would have... He had a huge studio in the backyard, which was maybe six times the size of the house. So he was an artist? He's an artist. Oh, okay. And I would go to, he would put me to bed at night and he had a monitor to the shed. And I sometimes would still be awake and I'd be singing to myself and he'd be listening in to me mm-hmm. and, and then some nights I'd yell out, Dad! And, and he'd go, go on, come on. You know, he'd come, come in and get me and I'd go into the studio with him and I was a night owl that, you know, as a child so I would often oh. be in the studio with him late at night. And what was he doing? Painting. He'd, he'd, and he'd often have people sitting for him. So he'd have different people there every, you know, every night pretty much that he'd be painting their portraits or, oh, right. or whatever. And he was working a couple of days a week teaching art as well. So, so what would you do in there? Would you just watch? I, don't, I mean, I don't really know what I did, but I just remember when I'm with my father now, there's certain smells that, that bring back a lot of memories yeah. of him working in the studio. And, and I, as I 
get older myself and with my own children, I see myself living in a similar way to how he lived with me. And I, I never foresaw that, that happening. But it's so deeply ingrained in me that I, I have just so taken on a sa- the same lifestyle, yeah, right. I guess. So obviously good memories. Absolutely. Oh, and very free. We, were, we just felt free. And we lived in this very humble, he rented this very humble house. All he, you know, all he had to do was work two days a week and then he just got to paint and have me. And he says it was, you know, one of the best periods of his life. Yeah. Was how, it was just so simple. Yeah. And did you paint with him? Like, did no, you, I don't, did you I don't know. Up? No. Maybe he was using oil paint, though. Yeah, So, I mean, right. I don't think I would have... Yeah, I don't think he would have let you near no. that. <laughs> the, t- the smell of t- gum turps, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, okay, so let's move on. What about school? Did you do art at school? I did. In primary school, I found myself... I was, you know, I would draw and paint like other children. I didn't notice anything different. All I knew was I did have a father that was an artist. Yeah. But whether I had anything wasn't very obvious and it wasn't that I I wasn't very good at going oh look I really want to do this thing watch me you know I'm going to I'm going to do this thing I just sort of would do it privately and I had I always had from probably the age of 10 I would have a journal that I would draw and but I also would write a lot of songs and poetry not that I can play an instrument or sing (laughs) but I would write I would write a lot and I, I think that's that's sort of the beginning of how I see that my practice is not purely painting mm. is that there's a lot of it's you know it's concept heavy because there was a lot of that writing underpinned a lot of what I was drawing and do you remember what you were writing oh that was so dramatic yeah very dramatic you know love and heartache oh, and yeah. but not about like love in general it wasn't specific about a person yeah. it was just extreme emotions I would say oh, right. <laughs> so it wasn't sort of like I'm in love with Johnny no know. it wasn't like that no. <laughs> right. although I probably was in love with Johnny at the same time <laughs> <laughs> and then it was about year eight when we sat down and um, this art teacher she was great she just looked like a mad old potter and I was just going oh this is fantastic this is like all the women that surrounded me when I lived in the country because by then we'd moved to the city so I, I started yeah. school in Melbourne and this woman was just everything that I probably wanted to be. You know, she had no makeup on and her hair was graying and she was covered in paint. And I'm like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's great. And she sat us down and she, you know, cut some oranges and said, you know, paint the oranges with some, I think it was gouache that she gave us. And I went, oh, it, it looks like, it looks, looks like what's there, you know. And I was, I started to get really excited about painting and drawing what I could see, you know, still life. Oh, okay. So and the representational stuff. Yeah. So you were actually doing realist sort Realist of stuff. work. And so by the yeah. time I got to year 11 and 12, I was in the studio from year eight, really. That's when I realised that this was my pick out of everything at school. And then I had this great art teacher um, in Mark Savage in year 12, and he um, lined me up to go to... It's probably totally the wrong thing to do now and maybe at the time but he kind of hooked me up with a home for men with schizophrenia in Kew around the corner from my school it was this amazing old mansion that was falling apart that had been rented to this um, man who was running this home for schizophrenic men Mm. and I would go there most days after school and I would get to sit there and paint their portraits and they would tell me their stories and we would have these amazing interactions. So that that kind of the storytelling and the poetry thing got brought back in because I got to then, you know, after I'd sit with them and paint and draw, I'd write and write and write about 
What an experience. Yeah. Gee, gee, it was amazing. You heard some really shocking things, did you? I or? did, but yeah. were, it was in, it, shocking but interesting. Like not, there, were some, there were some confronting moments when I would arrive and... Um, one, yeah, there were some confronting moments, but I was okay with I, That's what I'd kind of signed up for, and that's what the art teacher had put me in touch with them, thinking that I would be okay in that environment, mm. and I, I felt fine. And did your portraiture, your skills in portraiture must have really uh, improved over that yeah, period? Yeah, absolutely. I was, yeah. So I was doing, you know, every single day drawing and painting portraits. And, and so was trying to get a likeness? You yep, were trying to completely. get a likeness? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And so, but I understand that your tertiary education didn't include, like, sort of painting? No. So I wasn't told about... So when you go to apply for university, I wasn't told that you had to do a separate, a separate application for VCA. So I didn't do that. That's Well, at the time, I don't oh. know if it's changed now, but you don't go through the usual system to apply. Oh, it's, I see. Yeah. Right. So I didn't so apply... So would you have if you knew? I would have, because I did apply for fine arts at Monash and RMIT, and I got into both. But I also got into a Bachelor of Business Entrepreneurship at RMIT. And my dad, who had gone to art school, he went to art school, um, Alexander Mackey to begin with in Sydney, and then Monash in Caulfield in Melbourne. Mm. Um, he, I'm, I still don't know exactly why, but he said to me, why don't you do the entrepreneurship degree? You can and do your art on the side and, you know, maybe you don't need to be studying to studying fine arts to be so able to do it view, yeah so with that entrepreneurship um qualification mm. did you learn about like business yeah. and all that's great <laughs> i don't know where i use it i think every artist should do that yeah. especially now i mean because artists have to be so well, in control yeah, of their I mean, own business have, i'd have no idea if it's helped i wouldn't have a clue i can't see it <laughs> because i already was a studious person i was yeah. studious i tried really hard in school i didn't just do art i also tried really hard in all the other subjects even though all i wanted to do was art but mm. I, I am someone who you know wanted to achieve and go well so whatever you do you put 100% in yeah yeah I just I don't believe in yeah if you start something you've got to follow it through to the end so I followed yeah. through to the end I finished it purely because it's ingraining me to follow things through to the end <laughs> and I'm I got I finally graduated and you know are you going to the graduation I'm like are you kidding me there is no I'm done I'm done I'm not going to the graduation oh you didn't go to the graduation no. you're kidding me I wasn't it didn't interest me at all I don't even know what you know by the end of it I just I finished it I got the piece of right. paper yeah I think it's still in the you know the postage scroll that they sent me yeah oh, so after so well let's fast forward to Germany because yeah. Germany was a very formative time for you artistically and creatively so mm. can you tell me a bit about that so my partner and I decided um, well he saw he's an artist as well and he saw an ad in the art almanac that was a house for rent in Umbria in Italy <laughs> and he's going let's let's go to this house and I'm going well that's ridiculous we're not that we've got you know we've got all this stuff and we've got a dog and we've got like we've got commitments and you're in a band and anyways like no 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 let's do this and we decided to go yeah so we got to Umbria and it ended up being not what we had hoped or maybe no rather I think that we were idolists at the time I think we were kind of idolizing this quiet life in the country and making art not realizing you know within days of we would reach a point of boredom oh right <laughs> So we um, quickly left and travelled around until we were directed to Berlin. People just kept saying, go to Berlin, go to Berlin. Yeah. And um, What was happening there? Just, just an amazing art community. And I, I mean, I didn't realise. I mean, it's been going on. Nick Cave was there when he was young. Like, it's been, 
it's been a place to go to for a very long time. Mm. Um, so we weren't trailblazers by any means. Mm. So we went and it's literally we arrived. I think we were too ashamed to go home as well after yeah. Italy. <laughs> it was like, we've seen we're, we're living in Italy for a year. We're like, it's been two weeks. <laughs> yeah, we have to keep going. <laughs> Sacrificed so much to get there. Yeah. And um, so we, we arrived at like 11.30 at night and it was straight away we just went this is amazing for some reason we just got this incredible feeling about the place oh, what and was so, it about it do you reckon there was a freedom there you could feel a freedom also I think when a place is affordable to live you feel freer mm. you, you just naturally do you, you know you can do more things you know you can say yes to most things because you can afford money it. does restrict so yeah. many choices so we knew that we didn't have to we didn't have to work because we'd saved to we'd sold everything and saved all our money and mm. we knew we had enough money to live in that city for a whole year we knew it yeah like that's what an amazing feeling initially there's that I don't know what we were thinking I don't know whether that would have lasted so you how did you connect with people in the art community there like did you just I'm turn up and meet some Australians or we went to a very strange um book shop for dinner one night yeah right which <laughs> was fascinating. You could go downstairs into this area and this woman had cooked everything, like roast lamb and then a roast pork and then a turkey and then all these <laughs> salads and just going, this is unbelievable. Yeah. And, and everyone just be down there smoking cigarettes and it was this smoke. We were smoking cigarettes too. And, it was just this <laughs> and we, you know, got so chatting with people. So all arty types All then. artists right. and photographers. Well, this is Berlin full stop. It was just, yeah. everyone's doing something interesting. Were you painting there? Is that, was that the plan? So I, so yes, so that I got there and I was mainly making jewellery and drawing and had just been getting back into painting and, um, but my partner was painting. Right. And so I'd be making jewellery going on and but the jewellery just got bigger and bigger to it got to like sculptural huge pieces oh, and I'm going what am I doing like I feel so restricted by this all I want to be doing is painting and so I oh. then set myself up to really get back into painting again so what were you painting when you first the, started the figure I was going I went back straight into the figure mm-hmm. but so you got um, a model like you got models or oh you... we would do life drawing classes and things like that but no I was trying to avoid realism I was trying to. So I was, you know, I was looking at... Why? Oh, I, I think I'd looked so much by then that I, there were so many other styles that I thought were great and interesting that I wanted to explore. That there, was, there were limitations when you... For me, I felt it was limited if I was painting realism, that um, I had to work within what was real or something mm. at that point. Now I can see that I could have, you know, broken that up a bit. But for me, I wanted to. I wanted to feel freedom, and I think that's what was happening with the, with the jewelry. It was very restricting. Everything was restricting mm. me, and I was finally in this place where I'm going. Let's just take everything off that that stops me from making work that I want to make. And so when you know, and I would be, I would explore painting to a certain point where I felt restricted by painting, which is why performance came in. And and now I feel like when someone says, "What kind of work do you make?" I feel so ridiculous when I go, painting, <laughs> performance, <laughs> photography, sculpture. Videos, but, and I feel ridiculous because really I haven't trained in any of them. You know, like well, it's. Yeah, but I just, but, but I'm free. I allow myself to. That's right. I don't want to put well, limitations. Actually, let's talk about the performance art because that's a big part of your practice, mm. and it's astonishing. Can I say? I mean, oh, I've been looking to what you've been doing, um, and also you were chosen. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but you were you were one of the ten artists chosen for the 
uh, Marina Abramovich residency in Sydney a few years ago, and that mm. was a huge honour because she's one it of was. the most famous world uh, class um, performance artists. Yeah. Um, right. So, uh, and just, you know, the sort of work you do, I mean, some of it is literally torturous. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just, one example is, is, is the work was called uh, It's Too Early to Love You, where you sat in a chair listening to your mother singing the Sesame Street theme song on a loop for nine hours. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what... Uh, what are you trying to achieve with those those sort of performances? I, I don't make um, painful endurance performance anymore. Right. That's um, they were invest. They were the sort of the basis of investigating sort of psychological transitions which can occur from putting yourself into sort of severe situations and reflecting upon how that you know comes from something that has happened for myself. You know biographically I guess or um, so was that a was there a personal reason for you doing that yeah that so that particular work came out of I'd had my first child and um and I was also you know as a female artist having a child grappling with my identity again and there were you know there were moments in my time as a you know as, as a child myself where I struggled with my relationship with my own family and with my parents and with my identity within within a family mm-hmm. and then once again I'm once again grappling with that within a family where I am the parent mm. and the, the the times that are can be quite difficult with my you know with having a child and to the point where you can be so frustrated in fact the, the title of the work it's too early to love you came from what I said at about 4 a.m when my son woke up for like the 10th morning in a row at 4am and I actually said to him, it is too early to love you. Oh, it's actually, right. I have not come to to a point where <laughs> I can even consider love right now. Like we are, yeah. we're, yeah. But it was, as a whole, the, the performance was really looking at the complexities of familial relationships. And when I make a work, there are lots of ideas that come in and then then the work is made, but it's it's looking at you know the broader idea of how we how we cope within our familial environments. And, right. But I always try to make sure I'm pushing from pushing off from where I just had been, if you know what I mean. So like even with the show I just did at Heidi, I could have done a show. I could have done it. What they said, I I could make whatever I want. I could show whatever I wanted. I could have done a whole series of paintings and a photograph and gone all that. I can see that looks good in my studio, I'll take that and I'll take it down to Melbourne, whereas I ended up making a work that was site-specific and that was finalised in the space through a performance. Yeah. Actually, let's talk about that because I think we've got an image of that, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah, so so this this image... uh, shows a work that is in your show, your current show at Heidi Museum of Modern Art, which is called In the Remembering. And this work is called Ages and Ages. Mm. It's, a, it's like a, uh, it's ten panels. It's ten panels around a U-shape around the gallery walls. Yeah. They're all um, pre-primed and they've been um, undercoated with a darker colour. And then they're all framed individually. So they were sent down to Melbourne already as if they were finished works. And okay. so it was all installed and then... Um, so when it was installed, it was just a dark ground. Exactly. And that was so like an can, acrylic ground? Was that? Yep, just acrylic. Yeah. There you go. Oh, That's, okay. Yeah. So I 
took myself into the space. I wanted to... I'd been thinking about this work before I was invited to have the show and literally the week before. And then they asked me to... They invited me to have a show with them and I thought maybe this is the work for this show because it didn't seem to fit commercially. It wasn't something I wanted to do in a commercial gallery. It seemed... It needed to have a more of an... Well important in, in a way like an important place for that than something that people come and there's a price list and you know there was something that I really wanted to put into a space like this so it was mm. the right opportunity and so the idea was um, to bring my performance and painting together which wasn't a conscious effort and in fact I've always rejected um, making bringing my performance and my painting together because I've never wanted to make sort of you know I've never, I don't like a lot of work that is made for performance that ends in a painting. I often don't like it. What um, sort of things? Like where people. Oh, I don't are... want to use examples. <laughs> that would be oh, awful. you see them in movies where people are flying over a canvas exactly. or something. Exactly, can't stand it. <laughs> and splashing it. Can't stand it. That's sort of Cannot thing. stand well, it. You think it's a bit contrived, that sort of thing? Oh, I just, just keep it separate. Yeah, right. Yeah, I just, yeah, yeah I can't, I, for me, I don't like it. Yeah. I don't know why. I, I probably could think of... I could probably could articulate why. Um, it just... <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't make sense. It, you, it has to be... There has to be a very good reason why that needs to be documented. Like, is it just... Like, is it just because you want... Is it like another... Um, is it another tool? Is the body being used as a tool just to see what can be made? You know, for me, it has to be... The, the connection has to be more important. It has to be a part of the concept. Otherwise, I don't think it should be brought together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what, what sort of concept did you have for this? So this was... I've been playing with... Um, my work from the very, very beginning had come from this idea of... And this might sound quite amateur now, but the idea very early on was trying to materialise the mind and... and things that you know don't have physical presence but really do consume us more than what has physical presence so um, this work came from this idea of trying to hold a memory for a long period of time and for it to remain in the present and in the future something that already no longer exists so for this work I shut the gallery space off I went before the gallery opened with the curator and I, she stayed outside and I went into the gallery space by myself and closed the doors. And I had two cameras set up to document the performance with stills and video, mm-hmm. but the documentation was mine. I was to take, like, straight away after, they're like, can we see? And I said, no, I'm taking that with me and I will... Like, because that's, that's, the part of, that's the part of the work. If I have to make sure it's... A part of it has to be controlled by me. Um, all of it has to be controlled by me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, a, I need a lot of control over my own work. Um, but is that so? Nobody's going to see that video. Probably not. It's, it will be archived. Like I will archive it, and it can be shown when when I think that it's worth showing. It will be shown because I, it's. It may, I may as well just have made it a live performance. If it was well, no, not necessarily. It could be shown now, but I'm, I very rarely show the videos of my performances I don't actually think there is relevance in it I think that um, most of the performances that we that we know of we probably haven't even witnessed and the the story of them and the and the concepts behind them are what make them interesting and perhaps we've seen one image and we go 
that's that's what ties it to us. We don't actually have to see the whole performance. What do you think it devalues it in a way? I think so. Yeah, mm. I don't think for this performance, I couldn't have anyone in the space because I entered the space and then I tried to enter a particular memory. Now, if I had all of you in the room while I'm trying to recall a particular memory and then I had the added pressure of painting a continuous line, so I have to do an action while I'm trying to hold memory, and I'm also doing an action that has a permanent existence that I hope is aesthetically pleasing, yeah. which I couldn't consider because that, if I was thinking I about... That, yeah, I find that very interesting, actually, because... Sorry, go on, finish that. Well, yeah. if I was thinking about it being mm. beautiful, I wouldn't be in the memory. So mm. it was the most vulnerable painting I had ever made. It's totally. the first brushstroke of the week. I'd been in Melbourne for the week and I hadn't, had my, hadn't painted. It was the first brushstroke of the day. I was under this immense pressure. I couldn't have 40 people in this tiny room but while I did this. Did you, was that one of your preconditions, that it was going to be the first brushstroke of the day? Or did it just work no. out like that? Like no, you, it wasn't. Because you could have done some... I could have, but could no, have it had to come from... No, no, but I could have. Right. But that would feel... Well, this is no. interesting because this has got a lot to do with risk because a lot of the artists that I've... Well, a few of the artists that I've interviewed, we talk about risk. And it's mm. one thing to be taking a risk in your studio when the painting... Yeah. I mean, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, nobody ever sees it. Mm. And it's different to take a risk at Heidi... Yeah. Where, you know, if it doesn't work, I mean, you're stuck with it. Yeah. So, so that how was did that frightening. feel? <laughs> the day before, I'm going, what are you doing? Exactly. You're one opportunity for a museum show. <laughs> and you've decided to do this. Yeah. And I, and I, but I knew, yeah. even though I was going, oh, my gosh, maybe you shouldn't have done this, I, that straight away I was going, no, 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 this is what you had to do. Well, I'm, I, I must say that it looks fantastic. It was it's obviously the, quite successful. Um, and I, I understand you don't like saying what the what the memory was. No, it's irrelevant. Why is it irrelevant? Why don't you want to say? Oh, I feel like um, I want people to be able to walk into the space and think of their own memories. Mm. I think it's. A, I don't want it to be. I don't want my work to be autobiographical. And if what? You know what, I mean. what? How long did it take you? Like how how long were you in that sort of meditative? state before you started? Oh, from the night before. I'd been just, like I had the night by myself mm. and I, you know, tried not to speak to people and I just had a really, you know, sat by myself and had my dinner and mm. um, from the morning, you know, I was prepared an hour earlier and just sat by myself for an hour and then went into the space. And I spent about five minutes in there before I started but then when the memory was really strong, I just had to go really quickly because it was like, you can't let go of this. And then I got to probably two panels towards the end and I went, whoa, I'm, I'm in this. And I became very aware of the fact that I was there in this memory and then had to get back into the memory. At that, There was a clear point where I went, like, whoa. And I look back that in the video, even I see myself looking back going, oh my gosh, this, like, it's happening. Like, I, you know, I was obviously, yeah. wasn't in a trance or anything, yeah, but yeah, just yeah. that kind of coming in and out of concentration. Mm. And um, was it, So is it with one large brush? A large brush, and I had a bucket with me. 
And, um, and, and how long would it have taken you? Oh, not very long. Yeah, so it's just one continuous Probably. line and then... No, yeah. I had to keep it oh, getting right, more paint. to keep doing it. I painted how I paint. If I started to hold the brush how I don't usually do it, it would get confusing. So I'm mm. with performance. I mean, I like to set parameters before I start so I'm not in the performance questioning what am I doing in this, what am I doing, or why didn't I not decide that, you know. It's like people said, would you make, are you going to decide on the memory on the day? And I'm going, no, 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 it has to be, for me it had to be very clear before I walked into that space, the colour, the, the memory, how it would start, although I didn't decide how it would end. So I got to the last panel and went, oh my gosh, I'm at the end. Am I going, like, does it go off the board? Does it? Oh, so you hadn't thought it. And then I hadn't thought. Oh, and I all of a sudden got to the end and went, it's over. And I didn't want it to be over. And I actually walked back a bit and then went back. And was it a positive memory? Can it, you tell me that? I, 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 I told the curator it was a positive memory. It, a positive it is a positive memory. memory. Right. I had to tell the curator that because I think that was important for how she could write about the piece. Mm, mm. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's amazing. And so with your other work, so I saw your show In Silence last year at Dominic Mersch Gallery, which was fantastic. And I think that was, the main theme for that was desire. Yeah, desire, the sublime. But the risk in that, the risk in where we find ourselves in a you know, seemingly comfortable place and we often get to a point of being ready to jump, that... What do you mean? Like sort of self-destruction, I think, when we get, to, you know, when we start to find happiness or we start to feel comfortable in a situation, we can often reach perhaps maybe maybe it's a slight boredom or maybe it's not wanting to settle because then we have to start to delve into more of reality. And so we it's like people who move all the time, for instance, you know, if you move all the time and this idea that you get you get your system's in place and you get your routine and then because you start to get so routined and everything starts to become very clear, yeah. that's when you can start to fall into thinking about things or when you have to start to confront yourself about things. And so a way to defer that is to do the next jump. In what way? Maybe it's moving, maybe it's, maybe it's sabotaging something that's good in your life, maybe... I mean, I came from a family that where I was, you know, I was moved a lot. I, my mother had eight fiancés, so I was very aware of um, falling into a new life and things going well and then not working again and then having to jump again. And, mm. and, that, and then I um, find myself in a very, you know, very comfortable lifestyle myself and even I start to go, oh, you know, are we happy here? Are we wanting to go somewhere mm. else? Are we... And There's I, something and about human nature that does that. It's human nature, yeah, and we're yeah. trying to achieve more and more and more. Yeah. But my greatest desire is to stop and is to be still and is to have silence. But for some reason, I, and like most of us, we keep, mm. we keep pushing. Yeah, you're right. It's like this, the dream is that you'll end up, you just on a beach somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but you get to that beach anything. and you're going, exactly. I better get a coffee. Exactly. So interesting. So that must be what you meant by saying desire can be dangerous. You're talking about being comfortable and yeah. sort of finding the ideal. Yeah. And then it just, when you've got there, it's sort of... Well, idolising things. Mm. That, I mean, that's something that I try not to do. I try not to idolise things and future events. And when I'm there, then I'll be happy. When I'm, then, yeah. And we all do it. Yeah. I know we all do it. And yeah. I, but so when I am about to do something where I hear myself saying well, then I'll feel this. 
I go, no, 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 don't, don't, don't even follow that path. I saw um, a video, music mm. video, Oh. Are you painting? It's mm. great, actually. I recommend everyone go, everyone go on YouTube and have a look at it. By the band um, <laughs> Holy Holy. And uh, it shows your process. You start you, you started in, uh, with the ground and then you put it on the wall and then you sit back and you started sketches, mm. which was really interesting because I didn't think you would be sketching them out beforehand, the composition out beforehand, but obviously this is important part of it is that you do that not not I don't do it um so specifically for each one I often I have sketchbooks that are just full of tiny little rectangles and just lines and just oh like thumbnails yeah I do thumbnails and I but I love how they look as a mass these tiny little in fact I love painting this big people go oh you, you paint really big paintings I'm like I actually love painting this and that the in between is where I get really stuck oh really that's like oh that's beautiful that Oh, so you would, would you start with a smaller painting to, to yeah, perhaps. Ref- transfer it to a larger perhaps. one? Not intentionally, but yeah, I would definitely. I bring right. that all the time, yeah, going from smaller to larger. But I do play with this scale a lot. It's almost the same thing. When you're, when the impact, I think, that, that you can have from an image this big... Which is like about four centimetres by four centimetres. Oh, yeah, sorry, four centimetres <laughs> by four centimetres. For podcast <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yes. The impact of that, because you have to get so up close and so intimate with that size, it's almost the same as when you're becoming wrapped in a huge painting when you're standing in front of it. I feel like that when we go to the, you know, the one metre by 1.6 or something. Yeah. Or no, that's a, that's a funny shape. 1.2 by 1.6 maybe, yeah. That's when I feel really challenged. Really? Yeah. It's the medium size that I get really challenged with. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. Considering I can play with, you know, like, what's that, 15 centimetres yeah. by, you know, yeah. squared. Yeah, and so you either like small or big. Yeah. Mm. That's really interesting. Or, or the teeny tiny Actually, thing. one of the questions, I have never asked any um, of my artists, my interviewees, this before, and I'm interested in it. Because when students start out painting... You always start, you never start out as those large works that you're doing, which are over two metres, you know, three metres, even bigger. Um, At what point do you think uh, you move from doing sort of smaller works to actually thinking, okay, now I'm going to do a big work? Was there a point where you thought, okay, now it it needs that, I need to do that? Um, When I had space. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's space and, you, you know, living so? in Germany, I couldn't transport paintings that big. I, I made a few mm. that were bigger, but, yeah, transportation, space. Right. So I it's would not, say. Yeah, right. Um, but there's also storage, which is an issue. Yeah. I'm yeah, a storage true. unit. So you would always, you, you would go big. You, you've got that desire to, to, to I've got do that desire. But, but, but I'm talking about, like, it, I've had a couple of people say, you know, why do you paint big? And I'm going, what do you mean? I mean, your whole body has to get involved. Yeah. We are talking about a, you're a sweeping gesture. If I go from here to there, that's, that's as far as my arm can go. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty exciting to think, like, it's very different this to boom. I can, like, that's, you can experiment with seeing what can happen when your whole body moves with it. Like, when I painted when I was eight months pregnant, the paintings are so different. 
you know, just really? before I gave birth, to, they, they, got, they got more and more still. Because there's, there's either a lot of stillness or a lot of movement in my paintings. In fact, some paintings you can think are very still. If you put them next to one that has a lot of movement, you almost need to separate them because they look like very different mm. depending what I'm, how I'm moving at the time. Mm. And it is, it's about movement when you're getting to that scale. Yeah. And so... Um, yeah, there's something very exciting to, to be... And there's also... You can investigate a lot, obviously, with scale. There's a lot more space to investigate. And for me, I'm very interested in the negative space as much, if not more, with the positive space, with, with the actual paint. So the negative space, yeah. if on that larger scale, I can really play with huge voids and, oh, let, them, right. and let them remain as huge voids. And Whereas on a medium-sized painting, that, that is harder yeah. to, to play yeah. with. Can we talk a bit about your routine, if you have one? Um, because I'm always interested to know how artists get into the zone of, you know, that creative zone. Yeah. And, and everyone has their own way of doing that. And I'd just be interested to know what those sort of conditions are for you. Yeah. Um, well, I, the morning routine is just mad, like most people's. Well, you've got two little kids. Morning routine with kids <laughs> under, you know, under six. Yeah. Um, so... Then when I get to the studio and it's quiet, I, um, I just start working. But it's very strange because it, all of a sudden it's all, you're all by yourself and there's no distractions and it's something that can be so satisfying but something that's also you know, quite frightening. Every day I go in there and go, can I do it? Every day I go in there and go, can I do it? Really? Every day. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> so you doubt yourself? Oh, every single day. Every single day. I never go in there thinking, yeah, this is going to be great. I go in there really anxious, oh, really stressed. And so when, does that help or does that hinder the creativity? It, can, it has hindered. Like earlier this year, I, when I got back into the studio, I had three weeks off and I vowed never to take three weeks off again because I got into the studio and I was petrified. It was very, very bad for me. Oh. Yeah, I was very anxious about it. Is that because you feel as though you... Do, you can't tap into that again, that the thing that happened before, or what, what um, is it, do you think? I don't, I don't know. I think that there are so many factors that my work relies upon. You know, I, I, if I change the containers that I'm mixing my painting, then I, it gets mixed differently in a different container. I'm not used to it. Or if I start using a different brush, it behaves differently, and then I forget how I was using the brush before, and yeah. I get really lost again and um, I guess I also you know I have things like you know someone will go why don't you use any colour and I go in the studio and I go oh, okay I'll try using a bit of colour <laughs> so a bit more colour and I go oh I can't stand it <laughs> and then I have to destroy it again you know so we all have those little things that you go someone so said that all right you know but you know even though you've got a restricted palette you've got a very limited palette they're mainly earth colours mm. um I used to use blue is, when I did the figure. <laughs> yeah, I used to use but it blue. doesn't mean that colour's not important, I presume. No, absolutely not. And in fact, the funny thing is that I think I went through, you know, years and years ago, I was like, oh, you know, if, if, if there's less colour, the work is more, um, it's more serious. And that's not true at all. You look at paintings that have colour and you're going, I wouldn't even notice most of the works that I love. I wouldn't even notice what colours were in them. Yeah. When I'm looking at them and feeling overwhelmed by them, I wouldn't even acknowledge the colours. I would just, you know, the, my point is that 
the colour doesn't make it more serious or less serious oh, no, or this or not. that. It's not. No, you that's can, right. Pink and you know. Well, and also, <clears throat> um, you could have like a very neutral painting mm. with like a tiny bit of colour in it, and that colour mm. is going to be more powerful than a very absolutely. colourful painting. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the use of colour, the fact that you, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, just using a lot of colour doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be powerful. Yeah, no, not at all. I think, I don't know, I don't know whether I want to enter this subject, but go on, I'll throw it in there. I think that also perhaps a part of me, um, you know, is aware, maybe a part of me subconsciously as a female painter um, chooses not to use as much colour as well, perhaps. Mm. There's you something in that. You don't want it to be the, a stereotype in a way. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I, I, haven't, I couldn't say I consciously do it, but um, that might be something. Mm, that's interesting, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, talking about colour, do you, um, do you ever use black? I do. <laughs> oh, so you do use but black. But I mix it always. Right. Yeah. Burnt umber and black generally is right. what, what my blacks are. Oh, okay. Yeah, but more burnt umber than black because it, you, the, the black dies. It's mm. so flat. Mm. So rarely will you see it just being black. Yeah. But and, and generally it's layers and layers. So like this, the work that I did for Heidi, I said the 10 boards would be black and they got to the gallery and they said, oh, these aren't really black. And I'm like, no, but that's my black. You know, that's... Yeah, yeah. It's, it was two layers of dark, of burnt umber and I think it was like an English red and... Mm. Um, and it's also not and totally black. covered. Like, I mean, it's, no. not, it's not... So the translucency is very important in the mm. work to, yeah, to not make it flat. And I'm not... That's, you know... And when they arrived at the museum as well I think they thought they would just be you know painted black completely covered just just almost like um a set for you know like a set for a a play or something Mm. you know just plain black but Mm. no there's always well it's got some life in it it's like I remember speaking to Aida Tomescu about that and you know she was she had just these very dark um you know grounds but she said and she compared different ones she said that one's got life in it even yes, you know exa- it's true some... that's got life in it that's yeah. exactly it it's yeah, got it's, movement it's got potential mm. you know that's it um that's really interesting and you have to if you don't have, if there's no life in it i have to go again i often if if i, I can have a really dark ground and mm. if i can't see life in it i might just go boom white and do a white wash over the whole thing Oh, right. To then, and then I can go dark again over the top, and then that brings mm. that forward. And mm. yeah, I'm always playing with with washes to to yeah. bring it back. And, and is there anything else that you need happening in the studio? Do you have music, for example? No, no music, right? No. <laughs> but I, some occasionally I'll feel like I need it to fill the space because it can be deafening in there. Yeah. So occasionally I'll, I will put on music. So, mm. what, yeah, maybe I shouldn't say abrupt no to that. It's always very, um, yeah. Do you also look at, do you look at um, art books and things like that? I do. I try not to. One day I actually was looking at a Louise Bourgeois book and then the next day I did a painting and then six months later realised it looked like one of her sculptures. Oh, really? Like identical right. to one, which is fine. I mean, it's a sculpture yeah. turned into a painting. Yeah. But I yeah. went, oh, I went through this book again, like six, or maybe it was t- a year later. I went, oh my goodness, there's my <laughs> painting. And so <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I'm careful. Steering not to. away. Well, actually, absolutely, there's things that stay in your psyche that. Oh, yeah, that's your right. That's, well, know. that's how an artist... I mean, every creative person, they're going to draw from something. Well, every, but know. every painting you make has come from everything you've seen before and experienced before. Exactly. In life, not just yeah. in art. Yeah. Um, 
One other thing, one last thing I wanted to talk to you about was that you've talked about struggles that you've had, financial struggles, which every artist who wants to be a full-time artist, who is yeah. married to another artist who's yeah. a full-time artist, must, they, you know, it's almost inevitable that yeah. you're going to be facing these um, difficulties from time to time. Is that, uh, how did you deal with that? We just lived minimally. The biggest expense was always rent. So we oh, always yeah. had to find very strategic ways of living and like living in, um, we've lived in a garage for periods of time, in a granny flat, in one bedroom, well, studio apartments. So, so did, did, did we attempted at any point to think, oh, look, we've just got to go and get... Oh, we've had other rent. jobs along right. the way. Along the, but the rule was always um, you work as... Have the, have the expenses, like I would have, you know, this costs this, this costs this. Okay, we only need to make $600 a week between us to survive. That's all we need, $600 a week. So then we would go, right, well, how many hours work do you need to do at the cafe and how many hours work do I need to do at the, you know, wherever I was working at the time? Yeah. And we would work just to earn that. We never thought about holidays. We never thought about buying other things or extracurricular. We didn't go out for dinner. We didn't buy fancy wines. We, so it's basically it to earn to be able to keep painting. Yeah, sort of and we do things like... You know, I remember one day in Melbourne, um, I, there was the William Kentridge exhibition on it um, at Acme. And then there was um, the Fred Williams exhibition at the NGV. And I was like, well, I'd love to go to the Fred Williams too. And he's like, oh, I'd love to go to the William Kentridge. And we went, well, we can't afford it. So you go to one. <laughs> you, you go, I went to William Kentridge. He went to Fred Williams. And then we'll tell each other about it afterwards. <laughs> And, that was, and then I, I read that Patty Smith and Robert Maplethorpe did the same thing. One of them would go in at a time, and I'm like, we used to do that. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh. But you just have to go to free exhibitions. That's, that's it. <laughs> and I haven't been pushed. I should have gone artist. <laughs> um, but, no, but it was never a compromise. Like I, I find it interesting. There's a lot of artists that, a lot of um, young artists that go, I can't afford to buy materials, or I can't. And I'm going, but what are you doing at the pub? Yeah. Like Jack, we didn't go to the pub. We didn't. If we went to the pub, we drank water. We weren't buying drinks. Yeah, you had to afford your paints. Yeah, but it, it, yeah. but it wasn't like we aren't going to. No one even would have noticed that we weren't having a drink. Yeah. No one would have noticed. Like, and when people went out for dinner, they just knew that we wouldn't go to that. But we would invite everyone to our house for dinner, and we'd cook gnocchi or something. Like yeah. it's potato yeah. and flour. It was affordable. We never went without. Never felt like we went without. Yeah. It wasn't a sacrifice at all because we got to do what we, we we get to do what we want to do what you're passionate and we about. always there was never a backup plan I did have a friend one day ask me what our backup plan was and I went what a, a backup plan <laughs> I haven't thought of one of those <laughs> so there's no thought that you're not going to be artists no like, and that, but yeah. but, the, but you know in saying that we accept the fact that there are periods of time where we have to work other jobs mm. you know a few days a week or something yeah. You know, the hope is that we, we don't have to. Mm. Um, and we always just, we always project, you know, going, well, you know, how long do you think now? How, you know, mm. when we're in Germany, we didn't have to work for th- all the three years we were in Germany. We were having shows back in Australia and James got a scholarship as well. And so we, we yeah, we were going fine, but mm. still living very minimally. We didn't travel very much. In fact, we travelled once, I think, while we were living in Germany. We just stayed yeah, in Germany. Right. yeah. Yeah. A lot of people were going on a lot of trips, but they were all working jobs and we mm. didn't work jobs. Mm. And what about the challenge of having 
two little kids. You've got a toddler and a, six, a five-year-old. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a photo of you on Instagram with Hester under one arm and a paintbrush <laughs> in the other. <laughs> So how... Um, that how was pre-daycare. You... Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so daycare is daycare. an important Three thing. Three days a week they go yeah. to daycare. And if, yeah. um, which that, that's a big expense, but we justify that more than anything else because if they didn't go to daycare, we couldn't make work. Yeah. So that's, yeah. The, um, that's been really important. But we, it's a big juggle. So we're up most nights working, um, like not... Night times generally paperwork and stuff, mm. um, and then daytimes fit making physical work and um, and travel. We travel a lot, both of us at different times. So mm. we now have to. We often go to things now, and we miss out on each other's openings and things because you know it is a bit more of a struggle. But mm. but once again, we don't go. Oh, I really wish I would. You know, we just it, we just get on with it. Yeah, we're not we're not up, we're not upset that we couldn't be. We don't find our children. Dif- we don't find it a drag that we have children. We find it an absolute delight. Yeah, And that yeah. we are romantics and having children for us is the most romantic thing you can do, not as a couple, but just to fill your life with. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen photos on Instagram and they're just, you, I can just see how much joy they bring to your oh, life. T- we're in yeah. states of euphoria the whole time. We just, <laughs> they're gorgeous. Yeah, it's total pleasure. Yeah. Well, Lottie, thank you so much for this interview today. It's been a real delight. And um, good luck with the rest of your show at Heidi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for everybody for coming today. It's just been wonderful to have an audience for a change for the podcast. It makes a huge difference. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode with Lottie Gonsalvo. What an inspiring artist. You can see her work at Heidi Museum of Modern Art and there are links to that and things and people we talk about on the show on the website, talkingwithpainters.com. I'll also be getting a short video of Lottie and her work up on the um, Talking With Painters YouTube channel. So all you need to do is search um, Talking With Painters playlist and that should come up. That video will be up in in a few days. I'll let you know on social media. A big thank you to Newcastle Art Gallery. They've got some great work hanging on their walls there at the moment. The spectacular touring exhibition of Elizabeth Cummings, Interior Landscapes, and another interesting show called Grise, Shades of Grey from the Collection. Also, next episode will be a podcast special on the travelling exhibition Salient Contemporary Artists at the Western Front, which opened at the New England Regional Art Museum on March 23. And I'll be speaking with Wendy Sharp, Ewan McLeod and Amanda Penrose-Hart, as well as historian Brad Manera in relation to that show. And there's also a short video to go along with that. So thanks again for listening and for all your comments on social media and your reviews and hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking With Painters. You know, and, and also with ages and ages, beyond where I am and beyond the memory existing within me, it now has its own, you know, it's been materialised, it has its own existence beyond me now.